Well, hey, good morning, everybody, and happy Easter. If this is your first time to join us, we are so glad that you chose to spend your Easter here uh, with us. You know, we are really living in unprecedented times. I mean, we're experiencing things that we've never really experienced before. Case in point is the fact that we're having Easter at home. I mean, you're sitting there in your sweats and your PJ and, instead of being in church. And, you know, I uh, was talking with my mom uh, just this last week. She just turned in, I had her birthday and is in her early 80s. And she said, yo, Craig, I don't think I've ever can remember a time when it was Easter and I wasn't at church. And so it's just a weird feeling to not be with God's people on Easter Sunday. We were so used to dressing up in our best and, and uh, getting all fixed up and ladies going and getting your new Easter dresses. And in fact, I just saw recently an ad for some new Easter dresses for 2020. Check this out. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, you got to laugh at, uh, at some things, right? Because we got a lot of things going on in our world. I mean, seriously, though, uh, every, this Easter, we're just fixated on the things that we need, the things that we need. And, and we really need some things this Easter. For example, uh, in light of this COVID-19 outbreak, we need a cure. We, we need an a, uh, antidote. We need a vaccine. We need a way to, to get people healthy. We need, we need physical help for those that are really struggling with this virus. For those that are working in the healthcare industry, they need a lot of things too. They need uh, a personal protection equipment, PPEs. We need ventilators. We need uh, rooms in hospitals. We need more people working and more professionals serving and more doctors that are bringing help to those that desperately need it. You know, on top of that, we, we need an economic rebound. I mean, some of you have really been devastated by this virus economically. And we need people to get back to work. We need our jobs back. We need the market up. We need, we need some help uh, financially to navigate through these really, really difficult times. We need help there. And a lot of people say, we just need to get back to the way it used to be. You know, Mark Cuban, the uh, owner of the Dallas Mavericks, he recently had an interview with ESPN, and he said, Americans need sports. We need something to root for. We need something to get excited about. And there are a lot of people that are just saying, man, we just need to get, it, get things back to the way they used to be, back to the life we used to have. You know, we need a lot of things. But, but let me just suggest to you that there's something we need that's even greater than those things. And by the way, I'm not minimizing the, the real suffering and the real pain that's not only happening right here, but all over the world. But I'm just saying that not only do we need health and not only do we need our economy back, not only do we need these things, we need something even greater, even more profound. And that is this, we need a spiritual awakening. We need a movement of God. We need God to show up, the Spirit of God to move in such a way that we've never, ever experienced before. We need spiritual awakening all over the world. We need a spiritual awakening in China. We need to see spiritual awakening happen all across Europe. 
We need spiritual awakening in Central and South America. We need, we need spiritual awakening right here in our own country. We need spiritual awakening in our state. We need it in our city, in our community. We need it in our church. We need it, listen, in our own hearts. We desperately need an awakening, a spiritual move of God that we've never, ever experienced before. And listen, I believe that God is up to something. I believe that God is setting the stage through this global pandemic. I believe God is setting the stage for something that we have never experienced, we've never seen before. I believe that God is speaking to us. God is moving. God is, God is setting us up for a special movement that we've never even heard of. Listen, uh, a lot of people ask me, Craig, what's God saying through all this? What, God, what is God doing through this whole COVID-19 outbreak. Well, that's what I'm talking about today. What is God saying? What is God doing? What does God want from us? Uh, the title of the message today is Awakening Hope. I want you to take your Bible and want you to open up with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is where we're going to land uh, today. And while you're turning there, let me just kind of set the stage for what uh, we're, we're about to read. Jesus has just got some disturbing news. Jesus was with his disciples, and he gets a message that his good friend Lazarus has contracted some kind of life-threatening illness. Now, what you got to understand is this, that Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were just very close to Jesus. They were in his inner circle. They were really like family to him. Anytime Jesus would go to Jerusalem, he would stay at their house. Uh, he, he'd spent a lot of time with them, and they were very, very dear to him. He loved them dearly. And so he gets this terrible news that Lazarus is sick, almost to the point of death. And you would expect that Jesus would just drop everything and go, right? I mean, we've been hearing all kinds of statistics and reports about this terrible disease happening right now. And, and it's terrible to see all the, the, those that have been contracted the virus and those that have died and, and all the stats. That's disturbing in and of itself. But listen, when, when it's somebody you know, that's a whole different thing. There's some of you that, uh, that I've talked to over the last couple of weeks and you're saying, hey, pastor, you know, this is not just a stat. This is my uncle. This is my grandfather. This is my, my brother or my sister. They're sick. And when it's someone you know that just brings a whole new level of urgency, well, you would think that, that Jesus, when he heard this terrible news, that Jesus would have just quickly bolted from where he was and made his way right to the village of Bethany where they lived so that he could heal Lazarus like he had healed so many other people. But he didn't do that. In fact, the Bible says he waited two more days and then, only after his delay, did he tell his disciples later in John 11, verse, 7, verse 11, he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. And Jesus quickly went to the village of Bethany, and that's really where we pick up the story uh, this morning. So let's take a look at it. John chapter 11, beginning of verse 17, this is the word. Of God. And when Jesus arrived, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. 
Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to comfort them about their brother. And as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Why is this story so important for us right here and right now? Because I believe that just as Jesus moved toward this tiny village to awaken his friend, that Jesus is moving and stirring in our world today to awaken his people. That God wants to do something uh, among the nations. That God is wanting to do something right here in our midst that we have never, ever seen uh, before. Here, here's the main thing I want you to jot down. Here's a thought that I want you to understand uh, about spiritual awakening. And that is that spiritual awakening changes everything. Spiritual awakening changes everything. I mean, it changes cultures. It changes people. It changes worldviews. When God moves on the, in, on, in the heart of a nation, when God moves in the heart of a person, he rearranges the furniture of their life. He does something new, calls things out into existence that have never existed before. You talk to historians, that, and they've studied spiritual awakening in China. They've studied it in Europe. They've studied it all around the world. They've studied the Middle East. They even say right here in our United States. And what they will tell you is when God moves in a spiritual awakening, everything changes. Everything is made new again. And that's what we're praying for. It's for God to move in our country like that. You know, Isaiah the prophet lived in a very difficult and dangerous time. And yet God spoke to him about him bringing spiritual awakening. And this is what he said to him. This is so profound. Isaiah 43 verse 18. He says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying, listen, you don't need to keep thinking about the past. Enough with the past. There's so many people who go, man, I just want it the way it used to be. I just wanted things to get back the way it was before. Listen, God doesn't want things here the way they were before. God's saying, forget thinking about the past. I'm doing something new. I'm moving in your midst in a fresh, new way. I'm bringing streams of revival into a desert wasteland. And that's what God wants to do right here in our country. It's what God wants to do in your life and in my life. He wants to bring about a spiritual awakening that is a whole new normal for us. 
So what would that look like? What would that be like if God were truly to bring about a spiritual awakening, if he were to bring out streams in the desert, if you will, a, a fresh movement of God in our midst? What would that look like? Well, I want to give you a couple of things, three things I know about spiritual awakening. And I want you to jot these things down. And they really, really come right out of, of this passage that we're studying today. Here's the first thing I want you to jot down is this. God uses crisis to wake us up uh, to reality. God uses crisis to wake us up to reality. You know, when this deadly disease came on Lazarus, I mean, it was a wake-up call. Martha heard that Jesus was coming to town. He runs out to meet Jesus. And the first words that she says to Jesus is this, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, what is, what is she saying? Really her internal question was this, where were you? Why, why did you not heal Lazarus? If you loved him, if you loved us, then why didn't you do something about this? Jesus, why is this happening? I mean, you can hear this coming out of her question. There are a lot of people that are asking the same questions today. You know, is this the end? Is God judging the world through this virus? If God is loving, then why does he allow this kind of suffering in the world? You know, there are a lot of questions. And by the way, God's not afraid of your questions. We need to bring these questions to God. We need to just Put them on the table and let's open up the Bible and let's, let's see what God would teach us about what he's doing. And so we don't know everything that God is doing right now, obviously. We're, we're, we're asking God to reveal that to us. We don't understand all the details, but there are some things we know from Scripture about why God allows crisis like this into our lives. He wakes us up to reality. Let me give you a couple of things, what I mean by that. First, he wakes us up to the reality that we live in a broken world. I mean, the very fact that we have illness and suffering is a result of the brokenness in our world. When God created our world, he said, it is good. But right now, God's, the world that we live in today is not the world that God initially created. This world has been infected with a worse virus, and that is the SIN virus. And now that sin is coming to the world because of Adam's sin, sin came to the world. It has polluted everything that God made. So we have been infected by sin. And the world, even the creative order has been impacted by sin. So much so that the Bible says that all the creation groans for Christ to come back and make it new again. So we live in this broken world of, of viruses and, and war and suffering and death and pain. All these things are just a wake-up call to the reality that our world is broken and it needs to be redeemed. Another thing that God wakes us up to is the reality of judgment to come. The reality of judgment to come on March the 25th. The New York Times uh, put out an article with this headline that reads, 13 deaths in a day, an apocalyptic coronavirus surge at a New York City hospital. You know, it's interesting that here is a secular uh, news outlet using 
biblical themes, apocalyptic, end of the world. Is this the end of the world? We know Jesus said that this kind of thing was going to happen. In Matthew chapter 24, beginning verse 6, Jesus said this, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famine and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of labor pains. You know, I remember when uh, Liz was pregnant with our daughters and, and each time she went through pregnancy, there was a time when they would, they'd hook her up to the monitors and you could just see the contractions just spiking the intensity of pain. And then it would, it would relent and there would be a little space and then, and then it would come again. And listen, every time you start to see those contractions getting tighter and tighter, more frequent, more intense than you knew the baby was coming. And Jesus said, listen, the, things like this are going to happen. There's going to be uh, global trouble. There's going to be international trouble. But he said, as you begin to see these, these things come with greater frequency and greater intensity, he said, you're going to know that I'm coming. The judgment is coming. Christ is coming. And we're going to have to give an account of ourselves to him. And this is all a wake-up call. Wake-up call to reality that our world is broken, that Christ is coming. Here's another thing. This is a wake-up call that we are vulnerable. We're not as strong as we think we are. I mean, just think about it. You know, so many times we think, hey, we got our life together and, you know, we got, we got our little nest egg and financially we're good and business is great and, man, I'm in good health and, man, we don't have a need in the world. We got everything we need. We don't need God in our life. And then one tiny virus one small little thing you can't even perceive with your own eyes, one tiny little microscopic virus can shut the whole world down, can gut our economy, can threaten our own lives. So you're not as strong as you think you are. I'm not as strong as I think I am. We aren't, and we are so vulnerable, and we are so much in need of something greater than ourselves, something bigger than ourselves, and that is God himself. We need God in our life. So why is God doing this? What do we know about spiritual waking? That God often uses crisis to wake us up to these realities. Listen, it's almost as if God is shaking us by the shoulders and saying, I am waking you up to your desperate need for me. What else do we know about a spiritual awakening? Well, let me give you, let me give you another thought. Jot this down. The crisis forces us to clarify our faith. Crisis forces you to clarify your faith. Just as Martha ran out and said, Jesus, where were you? Jesus said this in, in John 11, verse 25. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I love that Jesus just asking her the question, do you believe what I'm telling you? Jesus was giving Martha an opportunity to, to clarify her faith, to clarify what she really believed in, where she put her confidence. Listen, when you come to a crisis, 
a crisis that shakes you. It, it really brings you to a point of forcing you to clarify what, is, what do you really believe in? Where do you really put your faith? Where do you put your confidence? Do you put your confidence in yourself? Do you put your confidence in your own ability to figure things out? Do you put your confidence in, in your ability to make money or, or in the medical professionals or, or the government leaders? I mean, where do you put your confidence? Or do you put your confidence in God? Ultimately, crisis forces us to realize if we trust God or not. You know, we've been hearing a lot recently about the, the peak of this virus. A lot of people are saying around this weekend, we should be hitting the peak. What they, what they mean is the, the point where the infections peak, maybe the, the deaths globally in the United States begin to peak, and then hopefully that things go down and things begin to restore on the other side of that peak. And you hear all kinds of really discouraging statistics of, of global death counts and things like that. They're so discouraging. Why does God allow that to happen? You know, the Apostle Paul had his own life-threatening moment. And he gives us some insight. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, he writes this. He said, Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. In other words, he said, I, we thought we weren't going to live out of this. We weren't going to make this out of life. He said, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Listen, every crisis is a reminder that we're not in control. Every crisis is a reminder that there's some things that are bigger than us and that there are things that, that are beyond our grasp. You know, when we just think about it, how much of this crisis can you control? I mean, literally, what's in your hands that you can control? Probably pretty much nothing. I mean, you can control whether you put your mask on, how many times you wash your hands, if you put gloves on, if you stay inside, if you practice social distancing. I mean, you can, you can govern that kind of thing, but can you really control what, what, what's happening? No. And it's a reminder that, that while we cannot control some of these things, that ultimately only God can control these things. Only Jesus is bigger than these things. And listen, this is why Easter is so important. Because Easter proves to us that, that none of this is out of Christ's control. See, remember why we celebrate Easter to begin with? Because the Bible tells us that while we were, were wayward and we were far from God, we were doing our own thing, living our own life, going our own way, uh, just headed toward a, a, a time when we would be judged by God for the things that we've done, our own sin, that God did the unthinkable thing, that God sent his only son to come into this world. And he came and he showed us the Father and he showed us what God was like. And then he went in, in the right time, in just the perfect time, he went to the cross and on the cross, Jesus Christ took your sin and my sin, all the things that we've done wrong, all of our, uh, all of our wickedness and all of our waywardness, all the times we said, God, I'm going to do what I want to do. All these things were put on the back of innocent Jesus. And Jesus Christ died on that cross in your place and in my place. The Bible says they took his 
lifeless body and they put it in a tomb and they rolled the stone in front of it. And three days later, beyond all hope, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That he conquered sin. He conquered the grave. He showed himself alive to his disciples. He showed himself to over 500 one time. He showed himself to multiple people over, over 40 days. He ascended up to the heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's coming again soon. And he's got a date circle on God's calendar when he will come to judge the world. And right now he offers hope. See, only Jesus has conquered death. Jesus conquered the one enemy nobody else can conquer. And that's why only Jesus can give you hope when we face death every day. That's why Jesus can give you hope that, that you can live forever because only he's the one that has the keys to eternal life, that offers you and me eternal life. So this is the hope that we have in Easter. That, that we have a Savior. Do you know him? Do you know Christ like that? Have, have you given your life to him? Listen, crisis brings us to reality that, that all this is outside of our control, but it gives us an opportunity to declare what our real hope is in. Are you living in such a way that your hope is found in Jesus right now? Or you say, you know what, I don't understand what this, what's happening around me. I don't, I don't understand what tomorrow holds. I don't know where this thing is going to end. I don't know about the peak or, or how this is all going to work out. But here's what I do know. My hope and my confidence is in God. I love Psalm uh, 43, verse 5. And this is what it says. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God. Those five great words, put your hope in God, because only he can save us. Only he is sovereign. Only he's in control of all these things. Put your hope in God. And when crisis comes, it gives us a chance to clarify and to put our hope in God. And that is so different than the world who doesn't have any hope. All of a sudden we have something to offer those who have no hope. We have hope in Christ. See, spiritual awakening, God often uses crisis to bring us to reality. This crisis forces us to clarify our faith. Let me give you one more thing about spiritual awakening. Spiritual awakening is ultimately a choice. It's ultimately a choice. Jesus has this encounter with Martha and uh, he says, do you believe this? That I'm the resurrection, I'm the life, I'm the one that conquered death, I'm the one that can can, can give you hope, even in this very hopeless situation. And in verse 27, this is what she says. Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. In that moment, she said, I am going to turn to you. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one. You're the Son of God, the God-man who came into the world. And my hope is in you. What is God looking for from you and from me in this global pandemic? What, what does he want from us? What kind of response does he want from us? Many, many years before the life of Christ, King Solomon dedicated the temple in Jerusalem to the worship of God. It was a magnificent 
temple. Uh, it was a magnificent dedication service. And in that dedication service, Solomon began to pray to God. And, and this is what he said. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will hear their land. God is really giving an if-then statement. If my people call by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my faith. If my people will do that, then I will hear from heaven. Then I will move in power. Then I will bring healing to the land. Not just physical healing, but, but spiritual healing. Do you hear what he's saying? Even now, when, when God wants to stir the hearts of the nations, he first has to stir the hearts of his people. When God wants to revive the nations, he first has to revive his people. When God is going to move among the world and the nations, God first and foremost is going to move among his people to do what? To, to bring them to a point of repentance, to bring them to a point of prayer, to bring them to a point of dependency on him. So that then he can, he can only move in on them and he can move in their hearts so that then later he can use them to declare God's goodness to the world. I believe that's what God is doing right now. Listen, what if what, if what God is doing in this world is really saying, listen, it's time for the church to get off the sidelines and actually uh, come to me again. What if, what if this whole thing is about just stirring the hearts of God's people? What if the church wasn't meant to be on the sideline anymore, but, but to really be the point of the spirit, what God is doing among the nations? What if the church wasn't supposed to be about themselves and about what we like and what we don't like? What if the church wasn't supposed to mimic the culture and the world around us? What if God was reviving the church through this crisis? getting our attention so that we would cry out to him, so that we would turn from our ways, so that we would, we would repent and turn to God and that God would awaken us again. What if that's what God wants to do in your life? To bring it to a point where you realize how weak and frail you are, to bring it to a point where you realize you need a savior, to bring it to a point where you cry out to him. Listen, Every spiritual awakening has always been preceded by crisis. It is a way that God, it's God's microphone, it's God's megaphone to awaken his church, to awaken you. Could it be that maybe right now you need awakening? You know, after Jesus had this conversation with Martha in the story. He went to Lazarus's tomb and, and all the crowds came and they were watching him and he gave orders to roll the stone back away from the tomb. And people were like, no, 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 Lord, he's, he's been dead for many days. He said, roll it back, roll it back. And once the stone had been rolled away, he called out, Lazarus, come out. 
And in a few minutes, they see Lazarus still wrapped up in his burial clothes, just kind of staggering and fumbling his way out of the tomb. And I mean, they, they got the clothes off of him. He was alive. I mean, it was a, a miracle that Jesus awakened physically and spiritually Lazarus from the dead. And from that moment on, Lazarus was a changed man. From that moment on, Lazarus is a man that had been awakened from his sleep, awakened to a new life. And when people saw Lazarus, they, he was proof positive that Christ is alive, that Christ can, can bring to life anybody, that he can do anything, that God is real, that the power of God is greater than the grave. They're saying, that's what God wants to do in your life. In this crisis, he wants to bring you to repentance. He wants to bring you to prayer. He wants to bring you to dependency. He wants you to be my people calling, turning from their sin and turning to me. That's what he wants to do so that you are changed. As a follower of Jesus, you are changed. So when you go back to your office and when, when things get back to normal again, that people can see, man, there's something different about you, man. There's something different about the way you're living and, and you are proof, living proof that God can awaken anybody, that God can do anything. What if God wants to use you in a powerful way? What if he wants to awaken you right here and right now for some of you? He's awakening you because you've never given your life to Christ. I mean, you've been going through the motions, you've been living your own life, but there's never been a moment when you realized your sinfulness. There's never been a moment when you've been desperate enough to get on your knees. There's never been a moment when you cried out to God and asked him to forgive you of your sin and to come into your life and change you. And that moment is right now. Right now, right where you are, right where you're seated, you can bow your head. And you can pray that life-changing prayer, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe you rose again from the dead. And I give my life to you. Please forgive me. Please make me clean. Please awaken me again. I want to follow you. Why don't you just pray that right now? You know, and maybe you're a Christian today but you just realize you just need spiritual awakening and you just realize all the terrible things around you have just reinforced how much you need God in your life and the hope that only Jesus can bring. Would you just ask him right now, Lord, breathe awakening. Lord, stir in my heart. Lord, bring new life into my soul. Bring spiritual awakening. You just bow your heads with me for just a moment. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer for you. And then I'm going to want you to listen to this song. This song is really a prayer. And so after I pray, I want you to just allow this song to be sung over you. A, a, a prayer for awakening, a prayer for revival. And I want to just challenge you to make this your personal prayer. As you hear those lyrics... That, Lord, that you would just sing it back to God. You just pray it back to God for God to awaken your heart. Father, I thank you that you're at work right now among the nations. That God, none of this is random. None of this is, is uh, just chaos for nothing. That God, you are sovereign in control of all these things. 
And Lord, I pray, I really pray that God, you would awaken our hearts, stir our hearts again, God. Lord, where we've become apathetic, where we've become indifferent, where we have become prayerless, where we've lost our passion for evangelism, where we've lost our passion to serve you, God, I pray that you would just breathe new life and awakening in these areas of our life so that we can be your people that you use to declare to your world the good news of Jesus Christ. Oh God, awaken us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.